0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with author, journalist, and coach Julie L. Hall about the role of the scapegoat in the narcissistic family. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, a podcast that interviews mental health professionals, lawyers, researchers, and authors about narcissistic and domestic abuse. I am Brandon Chadwick, your host, and before we get into this episode, let me state that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not substitute this show for medical advice. If you are struggling, please do reach out to the current professional you use, or please do call your local domestic abuse agency. Speaking of professionals, we just started our own directory of mental health professionals at abusetherapy.org. So if you're looking for someone to talk to, please do go there to find someone. Using one of the professionals from our directory helps support the show, and we'll be adding as many diverse professionals as we can over time. So if you're a professional looking to be part of our directory, please do email us at directory at Also, Attached to the Directory is a community forum where you can ask general questions about narcissistic and domestic abuse, but only the professionals on our directory will be the ones that are allowed to answer. So hopefully, everyone who's listening can go to that website at abusetherapy.org and take advantage of that as well. And before I get out of my own way and start the show, and FYI, I'll be leaving all of Julie L. Hall's contact information in the description of the show so it's easy for you to find and now it's time for the show. Here is my conversation with Julie L. Hall. Welcome everyone to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. And today I have a journalist, an educational writer, a coach, a survivor, and author of the book The Narcissist in Your Life Recognizing the Patterns in Learning to Break Free, Julie L. Hall. It's an examination of narcissistic personality disorder and its traumatic impact on family members and partners. It's packed with insight, compassion, and practical strategies for recovery. It's comprehensive, up-to-date, affirming, and it's an accessible guide that will not only help you understand narcissistic abuse trauma, but will also help you overcome trauma cycles and help you move forward with healing. So, Julie, Hall, thank you for being here with me today.
1: Hi, Brandon. Thanks so much for having me. It's It's, great to be
0: here. It's a pleasure to have you here. And it's a pleasure to have you here, not just because we're going to discuss scapegoating soon, but we're also going to discuss right now all the lovely things some big names have said about you and your book. And uh, we're going to start off here with the Library Journal And they say all libraries, in particular university collections, supporting mental health and psychiatry curriculum will find this a worthy addition. Then we have Susan Forward, who is a PhD and author of Emotional Blackmail and Mothers Who Can't Love. She says, this book provides insight and effective strategies for anyone working to deal with negative effects of a close relationship with a narcissist. It will resonate with adult children and partners struggling with the pain and confusion of life in a war zone that is often invisible to outsiders. Hall's book is an important addition to the understanding of narcissistic personality disorder and destined to help many people. And next we have uh, Margalise Felstad. I think I'm saying that correctly. And uh, she's... I I think
1: she says Mark Margallis.
0: But she's... A lot of people will go on to Amazon and and see her book. It's a very popular book called uh, Stop Caretaking the Borderline of a Narcissist. You see it everywhere being recommended by uh, everyone. And she says there is a wealth of information here. The lists and examples of narcissistic behaviors and their impact on family members, outlines of family rules and roles and personal interviews are especially helpful in bringing a deeper understanding of the depth and breadth of narcissistic exploitation and manipulation. And the strategies for family members are practical and compassionate. Halls, the narcissist in your life will give you hope and insight into how to help yourself and your kids heal. And what's important, I think, in this quote is the part about the kids, and you know, I've read your book, and it's very thorough, and a big thing for a lot of people out there when they're going through this process, especially the ones who are co-parenting. Um, when it comes down to the kids and how you deal with the kids after and what they might be going through as well, so uh, that's I mean, well, an extreme. Really
1: ties in. Really ties in with the scapegoat issue.
0: Yeah. And we have two more big ones left. Eleanor Greenberg, who is one of the foremost experts in this subject, says, brilliant, riveting, and amazingly thorough. I recommend this book to virtually everyone with an interest in narcissistic personality disorder, including psychotherapists. And then the biggest one of them all, Jackson McKenzie, who wrote the book Psychopath Free, which is a huge book. And helps so many people. And he's recently wrote a whole again. He says, this book is written from the heart. Julie Hall's book is a treasure trove of knowledge and healing. Every page is filled with warmth and compassion, teaching the reader how to find uh, solutions within. So that's a lot of praise.
1: People were very generous and very nice. Margallis actually wrote the foreword for the book. So, um, that was taken from the forward.
0: So I listened to your book through uh, Audible and audiobook, right. and you had a, a wonderful uh, narrator there. And I listened to it on my walks to and from work every day. It was uh, an easy listen, and you know a lot. A lot of the days when I was listening to it, the way, especially when we got to the the, the family oriented stuff, you know, you, you're dealing with it. Uh, you know, because when you, this has been your life. It's something that's all, you're always going to carry with you. So it, it brings you back to those moments, and it really had me thinking a lot of the different members of my family, what everyone rule, everyone's role was, and you know, especially when it comes to in, in my specific family, my my brother I would consider to be the scapegoat of the family, and you know, it, even though he might be, because the scapegoat is just a very complicated. Every, you know, everyone in the family is a complicated character, uh, but the scapegoat in particular, uh, I would say, would you say is the most complicated of the characters, that it's so complex of what goes on with them?
1: It is, it, it is complicated in part because it can take diff- kind of different forms. Um, there are different sort of different varieties of scapegoat. Um and, and and just to to sort of uh back up a little bit, um the the idea of roles came up uh was first introduced by Sharon Wegg Scheider Cruz in her book about alcoholic families. And the the, the roles that she identified are uh hero um, hero, scapegoat, and mascot and lost child. Those are the primary ones she identified. And they're different in the narcissistic family, which is its own type of dysfunctional family. Um, and, and so the roles that she identified quickly became adopted by people, psychologists writing about any kind of dysfunctional family. Um, you know, any addic- addiction, Families dominated by any kind of addiction Mental illness Narcissism And so on So the narcissistic family is a little bit different There, there of course Is the scapegoat There's also the golden child And the golden child uh, so, so And the, and the mascot And the lost child um, in, in larger families Typically the golden child And scapegoat Emerge there's sort of the primary roles that happen. Um, so if there's a, if it's a smaller family, if there are two kids, for example, um, it's more likely that the kids will primarily play those those two roles. Um, and and in terms of the roles, it's it's not you know it's not cut and dried. The, the, children can sort of shift around in different types of you know experiencing different roles throughout any given day or, or time period depending on the narcissistic parents fluctuating moods and the, and the uh, situation going on at home um, but in general kids tend to fall into consistent patterns in, in consistent roles um, that kind of are over sort of overarching definitions for how the kids Try to manage in that in the crazy narcissistic family dynamics, and um, a lot of it a lot of it is thrust upon them by the dominant narcissist in the family. Often there can be two narcissistic parents, or a dominant narcissist and a codependent parent is typically how it how it happens. And the reason there's there is this there's this golden child variation on the hero role so that it becomes more complicated in the narcissistic family because uh, the because the roles are determined uh, those two roles, scapegoat, golden child, are kind of reflections of the narcissistic parent or parents um, their own kind of inner drama so they're projections of the um, repressed Shamed self in the narcissist, and then the idealized, grandiose, um, superior self. So um, the scapegoat carries that repressed shame of the narcissistic parent, and the golden child reflects their idealized, grandiose self. Um, and in some sense, all everyone in the narcissistic family ends up becoming to some extent a projection of the narcissist because they're so self-absorbed and everything is filtered through their own their own insular uh, myopic reality and that that people um, become you know just kind of it's kind of like a hall of mirrors is how i've written about it at times Um, and the narcissist is seeing versions of themselves wherever they go. (laughs) And, and, you know, there are many cognitive distortions that go along with that. Um, but we can talk about, we can talk more about that later.
0: As far, as far as the narcissist and the scapegoat goes, I, I guess, is the scapegoat all of the negative things that the narcissist doesn't like about themselves?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's, it's certainly often the case that the scapegoat is experiencing projections of, of those, yeah, those, the rejected self, the, the parts of the self that the narcissistic parent, um, you know, hates or is uncomfortable with or is, ashamed, you know, ashamed of essentially. So the shamed, buried, repressed self um that child self that gets um repressed um and and sort of replaced by the by the dominant um grandiose persona um so and it, it's not just it's not just you know the scapegoat takes the heat the, the scapegoat uh, takes the blame for when things go wrong in the family, when, when somebody loses a job or, you know, uh, anything bad that's happening, anybody having a bad day, it somehow gets uh, distorted into the scapegoat, somehow carries that, carries the responsibility for anything negative going on in the family. Um, and it's astonishing how, how things get twisted, the narrative gets twisted around to hold the scapegoat responsible and accountable for, for the family's anger, for their di- disappointments, um, you know, for, for large and small negatives in, in, in life. Um, and that's, you know, really pushed, that's driven largely by the nar- dominant narcissistic parents. Um, and and often people scramble around, siblings scramble around. they don't necessarily even understand why the scapegoat is is being blamed. but often they're um, you know they're just trying to avoid t- being targeted themselves. so they're willing to go along with the narrative And especially younger siblings, aren't even really able to understand why the scapegoat is being targeted. They don't understand really what's, what's going on. All they know is, I don't want to be targeted myself.
0: Because I, I, I assume in some instances, in many instances, let's say the scapegoat is four years older than the uh, the next child, you know, by the time the child is, you know, aware of things or under, maybe has a possibility of understanding things, they might be eight years old, and the scapegoat is twelve now, and it's you know entirely possible. You know they grew up in it, so for them it's a normality of what is kind of going on, and it's very difficult to understand uh, the actual breakdown of everything since you are the one that is that is younger. I, if you were older, I could understand that it's it's possible that. You do understand what's going on. But for a younger one, I assume that it's very difficult to uh, understand anyone's role.
1: Yeah, first, absolutely. And it's just kind of, you know, it's just how my family works that I think is how younger kids experience it. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, that that sibling is to blame. That sibling did something wrong. I don't know what it was. But this is just the, our normal in our family. This is how things work. Um, it's extremely isolating for the for the scapegoat. Uh, it's this constant unjust, you know, um, experience of having justice being violated
0: um so when it comes to the scapegoat there is a lot of variables into what makes them uh tick when they're older uh what issues they may or may not have and they take they can go in, in many ways and you know you can see them become a hero, a caretaker uh for other people because of what they had to endure when they were younger. And a lot of the time they deal uh they're they're the ones in the family that fight back they're they're the truth tellers uh in these situation because they're the ones that actually stand up to the narcissistic parent and they and then they get in the most trouble which puts them at odds but i also find there are uh scapegoats you know because they have different functionalities that uh when i i listen to them uh in my other podcast that they've been so kind of beaten down by everything there's a lot of loss of uh, functionality uh, that goes on as well so are you able to explain a little bit about um, the the functionality and maybe the variables that kind of take place and uh, how they might be able to uh, recover from this in in the future
1: sure um yeah it's so you know it's it's it does encompass it it does it can encompass lots of sort of different ways of of trying to adjust and cope with having this responsibility in the family so the scapegoat this why a child is chosen sort of as the scapegoat, there are many, many reasons, there are many possible reasons to be selected as the scapegoat. It can be as simple as gender. Um, it can be, you know, a, what, what's particularly going on in the family at a certain time and the oldest child then becomes targeted. Um, it can it can be personality issues. Sometimes the child who is most like the narcissistic parent in certain respects is chosen because the narcissistic parent is uncomfortable with those aspects of their personality, and they see that reflected in that particular child. So they target that child. Um, so it's it's a range of reasons, and and as you said, it's often what happens is the child is targeted as scapegoat because they are the one who is, you know, who's speaking out against the, 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 the dysfunction and injustice in the family. So they're the ones who maybe are questioning the narcissistic parent the most. They're questioning the family narrative. Um, they're perhaps uh, defending other siblings or they're de- possibly defending their other parent um and so they become you know kind of in the line of fire with with the dominant narcissist so uh it, you know often the scapegoat is selected because they are in for whatever reason most aware most empathetic toward the you know other people in the family who are who are being abused um or and or more, you know, having more strong, independent-minded personality, um, those are often the kids who get targeted. And um, it's a complicated role. It, it can include. You, you know, it can overlap with caregiving, caretaking. Um, it can overlap with the hero role, which is the more traditional role that is that was uh, that was identified in, uh, by Sharon weggs scheider Cruz um, as being, you know, one of the primary roles in dysfunctional families. Um, So there can be kind of, I think of it as kind of a hero scapegoat role, which um, I haven't heard people talking about, but I've, but I've, I wrote about it in my book and I've experienced it. And I've, I know other, many others that I've spoken with have also experienced versions of this, um, where you, you do play. Uh, you take responsibilities in the family. For example, you may be doing chores. You may be doing caretaking of a parent or both parents. Um, You may be, uh, you know, pushing yourself to excel Um, and sometimes you're pushing yourself to excel against the expectations of failure or, you know, or perhaps you're the hero and you're pushing, you know, you're playing that hero role where you're representing success for the family and you're a source of pride, but you're also m- more independent-minded You're and you're trying to protect, you know, that other parent or your siblings and or your siblings or some other family member. And so you become targeted then. Um, so you start out maybe more in the hero caregiver role, and that can shift into more being more scapegoated. So I see it as kind of a possible hybrid that happens. It's something that has, or you can experience different roles in in different homes. If you're, you know, for example, if you're, if, if it's a divorced a situation of divorce, there can be children may play slightly different roles in each home depending on the dynamics with the parents and and possibly step-parents and a step-sibling for that matter.
0: Um, I guess a, a big conundrum for a lot of people is with the scapegoat can become a narcissist themselves as they grow older and uh, they take on, I guess, a, vi- a victim role. And for parents out there who, I guess, are in co-parenting situations uh, or still in these situations and noticing patterns within their children, is there anything th- uh, a parent can do uh, to when they notice these patterns of a, a scapegoat to eventually try and move them away to eventually because they don't want them becoming a narcissist in the future
1: um, well absolutely i mean any any child in this in this dynamic um, is vulnerable to adopting a narcissistic I, I think of it as it's a you know it's a coping mechanism narcissism itself is a coping mechanism that that is Uh, kind of established very early on in childhood, very early, and then over time becomes increasingly entrenched. Um, And so any child in this circumstance is, is vulnerable to adopting that, you know, to the, the, you know, most children in this circumstance are going to feel under, you know, they're, they're experiencing shame. There's so much shame in the narcissistic family and all of all of the children are struggling with that. And, and sure, the scapegoat can take on the narcissistic defense and behavior patterns. Um, I think that if, if I were to, um, if I were to say who, who would be most likely to take on the narcissistic personality, I would probably say it would be the golden child. Um, but it certainly happens that, that the, the scapegoat develops that too. Um, but, um, the arrogance and the entitlement that, that happen with the golden child, um, tend, tends to, uh, create that narcissistic personality going forward. Um, but yeah, the, the scapegoat is, is certainly beaten down and, uh, They may, you know, take on narcissism or they may become codependent. And often the the scapegoat becomes highly codependent. Um, And uh, there is, there can be so much, um, so much villainizing and or pathologizing of that child um, that they can even, you know, they they certainly, they're most apt to to have complex post-traumatic stress. Um, and 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 which can persist, you know, for decades, and unless it's unless there's some kind of intervention, um, and they are, uh, and and the the CPTSD can encompass so many different things, and we can talk about that if you'd like. Um, uh, well, but- I, you
0: you touched on codependency and a big thing. In well in my opinion when you know, with, when talking to people on, on the show is the relationship between uh, the parents and are both parents narcissist or you know is one parent the codependent and and one parent the uh, narcissist and how that relationship dynamic uh, works and uh, how it works when it comes to children especially when it comes to uh, trust and. and uh, can you? Is there a way to kind of explain um, when the one parent is is a codependent and the other is a narcissist? Uh, is how the children are viewed uh, by the codependent That's, parent? Uh,
1: it's you know the so the codependency and the narcissism and you know this this may be hard for people to hear. I don't know, but I see those things as kind of being on the same continuum. So. Um, people who often people who grow up in a narcissistic family environment, they learn, they learn narcissistic and or codependent behavior patterns uh, from their parents. And, um, and there's, there's some overlap there. Um, codependents and narcissists share some underlying traits. Um, they are, they're driven by shame, um, although the codependent is usually a lot more self-aware about it. It's not repressed as it is for the narcissist. Um, But And um, codependents uh, over-invest in their partner. There's over-dependency, and that's also true of the narcissist, if we think about that. The narcissist would never admit it, but they're extremely dependent and codependent on others. Um, for their psycho-emotional survival. Um, so and, so is, and, before you
0: continue, is, is this why a lot of people after they're out of a relationship with a narcissist where they start questioning themselves, am I the narcissist even though they're codependent? Is this the reason, is that one of the reasons they always say that? Cause I'm sure I've said it myself.
1: It's probably partly what's going on there. Yeah. I mean, it can be very confusing. It's, because, yeah, I mean there's the underlying shame, there's heavy identification in the relationship, there are poor boundaries. So that so those are some of the overlapping issues. And yeah, it can be confusing. I mean I think it's when we're around narcissists when we're and when we're steeped in that kind of environment, having grown up in it, for example, or being in a long term relationship with a narcissist, it I think it's Kind of inevitable to wonder, to question ourselves, Um, but uh, you know, although it's been written otherwise, uh, I think that just asking yourself, "Am I the narcissist?" (laughs) is pretty much evidence that you're not the narcissist. I mean, um, you know, it's self—the self-reflection that that codependents are more likely to do that. Is just not happening with the narcissistic personality. They don't self-reflect. They do anything to self-reflect. Um, that is a, a defining feature of the per, of the 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 personality type. It's it's just the personality profile. It is uh, that is one of the number one things the narcissist avoids is self-reflection. Um, so there's such little self-awareness. It's 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 a danger. It's a danger to the. To the the whole persona,
0: you know. When I talk to people and their parents, one they always felt one of their parents was codependent, and one of their parents was a narcissist. And after they the parents get divorced, there has been a trend in which I've seen where the parent that they thought was the codependent it turns out. Is also exhibiting narcissistic behavior after the fact, when they are now by themselves and don't have someone else to um, to be dominant over them, and they were just uh, submissive to to uh, that narcissist needs. But in reality, it turns out that they were both that way. Um, it just took sometimes for people like 20 years cuz that's how long their marriage was for these children to to finally see uh these things is that something that is common or yeah is-
1: you know it's mean, it's it, you know that's am that's a good question interesting issue and i think part of so part of that is maybe a, a situation where you have a a more overt domineering n- narcissist um in the family and then and then the the partner is perhaps more covert but also a narcissist. Um but they've maybe played um the you know the the safer parent role. They've they've not been so aggressive. They've they've been under the radar with a lot of their narcissistic issues. Um and they've enjoyed perhaps playing that role where they the were the more overt version of, you know, the narcissistic parent is is playing the heavy role, the jerk, the the aggressive, domineering, obvious narcissist. And um and that other parent is, you know, really cultivating uh an image in relation to that, you know, as being the more understanding, caring, um, kind, you know, whatever it is. Um and, and you know, often that's, that's really a covert a person who really does also suffer from narcissistic issues and is just more covert about it. Um, and, and it's, but there's also the sort of bigger picture, which is for kids, which is, it's, it's terrifying. It's an untenable reality to have two narcissistic parents to to see yourself in that dynamic. The the really obvious dominant narcissist uh, is acting out in extraordinary ways that can be, you know, are usually, there's a lot of rage involved. There can be physical and sexual abuse. There's certainly um, emotional abuse and ridicule and, um, you know, criticism hypercriticism. Um, So we tend, as children, we tend to try to preserve the other parent who's less aggressive and less scary as the safe parent, because we desperately, of course, need a safe parent. And um, so we often, and, and, and this is our normal too. So we're growing up in this environment, we don't know what a loving, accepting um, consistent parent is what that looks like. So the parent who's less obviously narcissistic is generally considered the non-narcissist, whether they are or not. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. And just to kind of bring everything around, cause you're, you know, we were talking about uh, the codependent uh, parent who possibly could be a covert narcissist when in relation to being a scapegoat, if a scapegoat becomes a narcissist, or eventually, you know, evolves into that, is it most likely that they would become a covert narcissist because of uh, the victim playing? Yeah,
1: I I, I would agree with you about that. Um, Because the scapegoated child who, who, if they're developing a narcissistic coping style themselves, um, they haven't been given permission to, to, to um, to draw attention to themselves, to have that larger than life personality, um, it's not safe for them to to do that in the family environment as the scapegoat. So that the, the narcissistic personality is going to be more more covert. They're gonna they're gonna be um, more you know that's going to be less obvious because it's simply not something. It's not a Defense They can kind of mount in the family. They're not given that, that space to do that the way the golden child is, for example.
0: Uh, I have some questions here from uh, people that, uh, from our audience that sent in some stuff. So uh, do you want to answer some questions?
1: Yeah, that'd be great.
0: All right. So. The first one on my list, it says, I was the golden child of my family, and four years ago, my scapegoat brother went no contact with all of us. Since then, I've become the target of my father, and now I understand what my brother had to deal with. I want to talk to him and repair our relationship, but we, he won't have anything to do with me. Any suggestions about what I should do?
1: Oh, that's so t- it's so tough. And, you know, these um, fractured families, it, I mean, this to me is one of the tragedies of the narcissistic family is that siblings are pitted against each other in this. And, and it's just it, those relationships are eroded. Some kids come out of it with some siblings come out of it. OK, they they're able to somehow rally together and, and have closeness. <clears throat> and loyalty despite the the toxic influence from the parents. So it's it's a, it's a really tough thing when the scapegoat breaks away um, and the, the scapegoat really does need to break away because it's not safe and it's so relentlessly negative um, for that child and um, especially in relation to a, a golden child, a a child who's played that role of golden child. I mean, they're, they're so pitted against each other and um, it's, there's such a profound injustice happening there. And um, for the scapegoat, it's, it it is a matter of survival to get away from the family um, from that, from the family dynamic and break away and try to repair the damage and try to establish healthier relationships away from, from the family of origin. Um, and so in terms of reaching out to that ch- that sibling, um, it, I think um, it really depends on the particular situation, the particular timing, Um, it's possible that that sibling may be open to an overture if it's made in a way that demonstrates that that former golden child is aware of, of the profound injustice and the pain that the, that that, you know, scapegoated sibling has gone through. I mean, you have to kind of approach that, that sibling with, uh, acknowledgement of, of the role that they've played and and it you know the, the, the tricky part of it here is that 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 person um, I'm assuming they're adults at this point that that gate scape, formerly scapegoated person is maybe not aware of it you know that there's there's it's a, such a long journey in terms of our own understanding of what we've been through and so that scapegoated Kid is or a now adult is not depends. It depends on how aware they are of how how receptive they may be to an overture from a sibling. But I do think in general, the scapegoated child is desperately wanting um, overtures from others, whether it's the parents or the or or siblings, other family members. I mean, they are often so isolated, so alone, painfully isolated. And not acknowledged and not validated, profoundly invalidated in this family structure. and And so I guess in general, I would encourage siblings to reach out to one another. Um, and I want to say I want to say too, that everybody suffers, everybody suffers in this family, in this family kind of system. It's 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 everyone is, Unsafe. Everyone is playing an artificial role. They're not given permission to develop their authenticity to be whoever they are. Um, it's you know works. I mean, that's one of the sort of underlying rules is that the narcissistic parent or parents they determine who the kids are to some degree, into a large degree. They they dictate. The narrative for the family. Um, so I, I, you know, I encourage siblings to try to repair the damage and try to reach out, um, but understand that the scapegoated child is so wounded, and um, yeah, being being sensitive to that.
0: Um, and L- listening to you in your answer to the question. I, I'm sitting here. I'm just, it's just sad. It's just so sad. It's like all, you know, um, it just, I, I, yeah, I have tears in my eyes listening to your answer because just, I can feel, I can, you can just feel the situation no matter who has gone through it or what they're going through. It, it's just so tremendously sad, the fracturedness of everything, and you know, knowing what a healthy and loving family can be for such people, and it's just not for so many people out there, and it's just so unfair. Um, it,
1: yeah, I know. It, it's just kind of the to me the like the um, the separations and the fragmentation of the sibling relationships is one of the most profound um, tragedies in all this um, because we need each other the most. I mean, we, like, and we are, you know, if you've grown up with this in this kind of family, that's part, part of the experience. One of the hardest parts of the experience is the isolation and the lack of understanding from others outside the family. If you haven't lived with narcissism firsthand, it's virtually impossible to conceive of. It's insane. It's, Horrifying, and um, and it, it, so that's another isolating component of it. And when then you're also isolated from your own family members in this scenario, it's it's even more painful and and destabilizing. Um, and what I hope for for families and what I hope for my clients and my readers is that they will find ways back to each other to repair the damage and find. Those, those, the connections with, with family members, with siblings especially. Um, but it, it's so difficult because we all come out of this with our own damage and our own confusion and our own trauma. And there are so many confusing messages and lies in the family about who everyone is, the role they've played. And there are, you know, the, the narcissistic parents really often fuel the flames of, of conflict and um, lack of empathy among the siblings. Um, and uh, the, the beliefs that kids end up having about each other are often so off base, uh, so false. Um,
0: yeah, so I grew up in a dysfunctional home and I won't say it was a narcissistic household. It was a dysfunctional home. And the one thing I say to myself to today is I feel robbed of, uh, close sibling relationships in, and not that I don't have a certain relationship with my, some of my siblings now, but when I was younger, you know, it was, I was, you were, I said this before on another podcast, I was a stranger to them. And you didn't have this closeness. You had more of a fear or just a distrust of everyone that you didn't want to open up and you didn't want to share and it it just create, it didn't, it was not a family environment in that sense. And I will, you know, it's something I will never be able to experience uh, being robbed of that, especially in your youth, uh, when you want to look up to your older siblings and, you know, be, want to feel taken care of and, and things along those lines. And you just don't have that. and, And there just wasn't. Uh, any infrastructure in place for that at all, and it's the one thing, if anything, that I am truly sad about is is that that you had these kids that could have been this great loving pack, and but instead they were just really strangers living in the same home.
1: Yeah, and and that is kind of that is also you know that it really is one of the fundamental kind of. Defining features of of a dysfunctional family, um, where um, the parents' needs are paramount. You know, the parents' needs override the the needs of the children, and um, and part of that, you know, the divide and conquer that happens in the narcissistic family um, or other types of dysfunctional families. You know. Addictive families for example Or even like um, like Religious extremism Where that dominates the family It's There's There's a There's an insistence on secrecy There's denial uh, You know um, The more dysfunction there is The more corresponding denial Of the dysfunction dysfunction there is And um, So kids generally Are not uh, able to, you know, uh, talk to one another about what's happening. It's not safe. Um, there's not, you know, there's no acknowledgement of what's really happening. And, and, and sadly, it's everyone's normal. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. It's one of the, one of the true tragedies is the sibling, the breakdown of the sibling connections. And if there's any way to rebuild, um, I, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the ways to recover. (laughs) Um, But that just, that requires being in a, it's it's a, it's a, it's a tricky situation though in adulthood when we try to reach out, if we try to reach out to those siblings, because we're all coming from different perspectives and we've all been through our own version of hell and we're all at different stages of recovery or non-recovery, um, you know, and, and a self-awareness and, and lack thereof. So, um, you know, I think that probably in many cases, I think speaking from a scapegoat point of view, uh, I was kind of a weird hybrid of a scapegoat hero in my family situation, and it was a complicated one because uh, there was divorce and there were different homes involved and step siblings and stuff, but... Um, that I would say that the scapegoat often feels very much wanting siblings to reach out, very much wanting that, needing that. Um, but it, because it, and, and sometimes the golden child, it, and that is often, as the questioner put it, often that is the scenario is where a, a former golden child who then is scapegoated. Then becomes aware, and that's how the awareness can happen for the golden child, and that's where the golden child may reach back then and and re, you know really take a hard look at, at what really happened in the family, and it can shift how you see things, and it can certainly shift how you see your scapegoated sibling. Um, so, I think reaching out with awareness and a lot of sensitivity, and acknowledgement. Of the pain um, is kind of the best approach.
0: Well, Julie L. Hall, thank you for being part of our show, and people can find your book. Uh, on Amazon and I guess all retailers which is the narcissist in your life recognizing the patterns and learning to break free and they can also find you at uh, NarcissistFamilyFiles.com which is your website and you can contact you at uh, contact at JulieHall.com that is your email
1: yeah it's JulieHall.com gotta get that L in there Contact. I have this generic name there are many Julie hall.
0: contact at julie l hall and you will also be on our directory at abusetherapy.org if people want to find you through there as well and uh, before we leave you have uh, any parting words
1: i just want to say thanks so much brandon it was fun talking with you and um people can Find my writing on my website, narcissistfamilyfiles.com I have tons of articles that I've written over the last few years. Um, I'm on HuffPost. I'm on Psychology of the Day. You can find me there. I have a blog, ongoing blog there. And uh, you can find my book in, in independent bookstores near you as well as the big names. Um, so yeah, the book came out last month. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find lots of my writings <laughs> um, articles and book. They're out there. So I hope they help. Um and and do reach out. I, I encourage listeners to reach out with if you're interested in coaching or, or consulting help from me as well.
0: So Well, I just want to thank you once again for helping people out today. This was a very valuable uh, episode for people to learn from, and hopefully it's comforting for a lot of people who are, are the scapegoats to understand more about yourself. So on behalf of myself and Julie L. Hall, thank you very much for listening today, and I hope you have a good night.